because every four years we are just full of you know pride and Puerto Ricanism. But the fact is that we are a colony of the United States and basically we're not ruled by the United States because we have our own governor, but we have federal aid, we have Medicaid, we pay Social Security, we, we benefit from a lot of funding from the U.S. government, which keeps us not being a third world country. Um, but yet we have this sports identity. So uh, it sure does create conf confusion, you know, and uh, cultural identity issues for people like myself. Hey everyone, John Wertheim here. It's this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast. Our guest this week, Gigi Fernandez, Tennis Hall of Famer, winner of 17 majors in doubles, mother, wife, tri-state area region. We'll be talking to her about a lot of things, not least Monica Puig's gold medal. Gigi is from Puerto Rico, competed and won gold medals under the U.S. flag. So we talk a little bit about the choice that Puerto Rican athletes uh, are asked to make in terms of what country they would like to represent. And what's become clear is that this sporting event and Monica Puig's historic gold is is a way in which we can talk about broader issues about Puerto Rico and its status as a commonwealth. Uh, we talk about lighter subjects as well, including doubles, which we all like recreationally, but probably don't get enough play on the professional level. Anyway, let's bring her in now. Coming to us from suburban Connecticut, Gigi Fernandez. I was thinking, you and I have talked about doing this for a while, and I'm glad we made it happen. And we have what we call a news peg this week, a news Puig, yes. as it were, <laughs> um, with uh, with Monica Puig winning gold, and your name mm -hmm. was was bandied about quite a lot. I mean, just start from what 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 were your thoughts on Saturday? What what was that like watching for you? Oh, it was so emotional. It was so exciting. Um, you know, I'm born and raised in Puerto Rico, so I, too, like every other Puerto Rican, wanted to hear La Boricena, um at the Olympics. And um, I just was so excited when she won, and I was jumping up and down and screaming like a crazy person. <laughs> and um, just really happy to, to be able to hear our national anthem song of the Olympics. It was just very special. And, um, you know, it was special when I was on the podium, and it was the uh, American anthem. Um you know, we were Puerto Ricans are all U.S. citizens, so it's a really uh, tough, tough situation. And um, culturally speaking, it's like we don't really know what we are. What are we? Are we Puerto Rican? Are we American? But um, but all that sort of was put aside on Saturday, and we all celebrated her victory. And it was a really special day in, in sports for Puerto Rico. And and you know her personally. I mean, this this is someone she's she cited you as a mentor. I mean, you you have a relationship with with Monica as well. Yes, um, I've been following her career since she was 12. Um, her mother and my sister played tennis together in Puerto Rico. And the Puerto Rican tennis community is very, very small. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I've, I've watched her play at the Open every year. And, um, you know, I tweet with her and we text and, you know, give her some advice. Um, just kind of lose advice here and there. And I'm just really, really happy for her. And I think it's amazing what she did and how she took the energy of this country and put it in you know in her back and just it just lifted her and um she played i mean i always knew she had the potential she was top five junior in the world top three junior in the world so she had the uh, the ability and the potential so she just you know being this this 
uh, moment. And hopefully she turns that into, you know, on the tour. And how does she play playing for herself and how she transitioned from playing so amazingly when she's playing for your country and to now how does she recreate that game when she's playing for herself? So that'll be interesting to follow um, at the U.S. Open. Yeah, I was going to say, what, what, I mean, we can talk about sort of Puerto Rico and greater meaning in a second, but I think that part of the story is just here was a player that we, we'd all had heard about for years and years who, I think she played 80 WTA events and had only won one of them, and yet in Rio, that was just a really comprehensive, I mean, she she beat the best players, she beat righties, she beat, beat lefties, she yeah. had more, more winners than Kerber in the, I mean... I thought that was really yeah. a great tennis display, apart and from everything else. she beat him soundly. I mean, she beat Muguruza one-on-one. One one. One, exactly. I don't say how bad Muguruza is playing. Still, one-on-one is one-on-one, right? So, um, it, it was just, you know, again, she, we know, always have known that she had the talent and that she had the game. And she had Kerber 4-1 in the third two years ago to beat her. So, she had, she's been knocking on the door. She just hasn't been able to close the door. Um, and this time she she did because you know when you play for your country and for people who have not played for the country they don't know but I've played for my country and people who play for the country like you you it's just a different feeling like you can't it's such a responsibility to play for your country like you can't act out you can't have negative thoughts you can't dwell on anything you can't like you don't dare misbehave um, you know and I play my best tennis every time I was in the United States because I was in such good behavior and and so that was Monica. Like, she would not let her thoughts get in the way of her win, which is what she has done in the past. In the past, she would just get way ahead of herself in matches and just mentally crumble. And this time, she just wouldn't allow that to happen because it was she was playing for Puerto Rico. And it was, there was so much history to this. And there's so much, you know, tw- it was 25 years ago that I went to represent the United States, and people are still upset about it. So, I mean, she carried this wave of, you have negativity or whatever you want to call it that came out of um, the situation in the last week and just used it, used it to her advantage. And it was, it was spectacular. I was so happy to see her win. I mean, did you have any sense of all this talk about, Hey, there's, this is the first gold for Puerto Rico. This is the first female athlete to win any kind of medal for Puerto Rico. Did you have any sense of like, uh, you who actually, uh, I may not have played. I may not have played under the Puerto Rican flag, but I'm a Puerto Rican God. athlete. Well, I mean, the thing that was really most upsetting to me, and it was has been a tough week for me. It's probably the worst week I've had since my kids were in the NICU, but like by far, um, just with the hate. I mean, I have never been called so many names, and people wanting me to die, and you know, oh. just like every foul name in the book that you can imagine was was um, expressed to me via Twitter. And, you know, what was upsetting again is that, you know, I did represent Puerto Rico and I and very proudly I carried the Puerto Rican flag into the 1983 Pan Am Games. I won two silver medals in the Pan Am Games and a bronze and I won gold medals in the Central American Games. I even represented Puerto Rico in the Olympics in 1984. So I did for Puerto Rico everything I could. And then and then when it came time to, okay, do I want to win a medal or do I just want to keep representing? And as an athlete. And as a top athlete, I was number one in the world in doubles when I made the decision. Right. Like, I really did not have a partner. And you can't play doubles without a partner. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I so heard that. The people who understand go, okay, well, of course he's going to go play for the United States and try to win a medal. But then there's, like, the people who are really passionate about Puerto Rico, and they just can't get around it. And 
um, you know, and those are the people that are the most vocal, the, the pro independence um, minority, and, but they're very vocal about it, very passionate about Puerto Rico being independent, and and you know, and they just came out in thrones, and it was just a horrible week. But um, but you know, it is what it is, and now it's over because now we have a gold medal and we can move on. <laughs> Puerto Rico has a gold medal. I, I do feel like this had the, the sort of unintended consequence of highlighting this, I'll use a tennis term, this no man's land that Puerto Rico is in. And people are asking me questions, you know, I don't understand, like they serve in the military, but do they pay taxes and do they vote and they're a commonwealth? And I, I didn't realize the extent to which this is an ambiguous situation. When, when people say to you, where does Puerto Rico sort of fit into this? What's its relationship vis-a-vis the United States? How do you even, how do you answer that question? Well, it's really interesting because the fact that Puerto Rico has sports sovereignty is a little bit, to me, just perpetuates the cultural identity crisis that Puerto Ricans face. Because every four years, we are just full of you know, pride and Puerto Ricanism, for lack of a better term. Um, but the fact is that we are a colony of the United States, and um, you know, we, we are... Basically, we're not ruled by the United States. We have our own governor, but we have federal aid. We have Medicaid. We pay Social Security. We um, we are benefit from a lot of funding from the U.S. government, which keeps us not being a third world country. You know, if we, we didn't have the funding from the U.S. Uh, from you know from the United States, we would we would be in really worse financial. Um, we would be in a worse financial situation that we are now. So we really depend on the United States for for a lot of of services. Um, but yet we have this sports identity. So I don't know. I mean, it's been like this for, uh, 70, 70, 80 years. So I don't know that it's going to change anytime soon, but, uh, it sure does create confusion, you know, and cultural identity issues for people like myself. I I mean, I feel like too, I mean, there, there are political parties in Puerto Rico that are sort of based on different, philosophies here so it, it's it sounds as though it's, it's a real sort of identity crisis that goes a lot deeper than athletes choosing which countries to represent yeah i mean there's there's there are three basic parties there's a pro-statehood party there's a party that wants to remain how we are which is the commonwealth and those are the two main parties and then there's the party the pro-independence party and they're the minority i mean probably less than five percent of puerto ricans want independence but they're the ones that are the loudest and the most vocal and the ones that really came out and just you know, have been slamming me for the last 25 years for going to represent the United States, and um, you know, and a lot of the, a lot of the people who also the want to state a Commonwealth have that tendency of you know not being so happy when Puerto Ricans leave um, to go to the United States, and and again, you know, to me, like the whole thing started because I I question whether we have a double standard in Puerto Rico because it's not okay for me to go represent the United States or for other athletes from Puerto Rico to develop themselves in the United States, but it's okay for us to bring people in. And and the guy who carried the flag is Dominican, and half our basketball team is from the, from the Bronx and from the United States and from, you know, sort of not, they're not born and bred Puerto Ricans. So that's okay, but it's not okay for me to go win the medal. So that's called double standard, and, and it, just, it just went viral, that quote, unfortunately for me. And... <laughs> And then it just kind of grew and, and got continued to get worse as, as Monica got, you know, continued to improve. So, and continued to win her masters. But, but now again, like I said before, it's, 
it's hopefully it, we can all put it to rest and we can all just move on from it because right. Bernie has a gold medal. Hey everyone, quick break. The Olympics have been a fantastic spectacle. The tennis event obviously ended Sunday. Andy Murray took gold in men's singles, the first player to defend a gold medal in singles. Great moment for him. Monica Puig took home Puerto Rico's first ever gold medal by winning women's singles. Here at Sports Illustrated, we have our own gold medal team, as it were. In the podcast realm, Alex Abnos and Mitch Goldich, two young bucks, are staying up all night in the middle of the night, and they are delivering fresh episodes for your morning commute, capping all the action from Rio. These guys have been doing a tremendous job. I know I've talked about them online and on Twitter, encourage you to listen, but uh, go back, listen to past episodes. You don't want to miss this. Use your favorite podcast app, search for Sports Illustrated at the Games, or visit si.com slash Olympics for all of our coverage from Rio. How did, um, you know, it, it occurred to me, I mean, you know, Monica was this well-regarded junior. I mean, I, I remember, I think Chrissy, that uh, Chris Everett was talking about her, you know, when she, when yeah. she was a teenager. How, how did you... Um, I mean, I don't, I don't remember you as a, as a highly regarded. How did, how did you sort of come into prominence? I mean, I know I know you went to, yeah, I was, to Clemson. I was but... definitely, yeah, yeah, I was definitely not a highly regarded. I was highly regarded junior in Puerto Rico. Like I had, you know, from the time I was born, or or I first picked up a rocket when I was three, you could people could tell that I had talent and that I was going to be good someday. Like, of course, I had no role models and no one to follow and say I want to be like her. So it really took me until I went to college and I was 18 and I played junior tennis at, in Puerto Rico and Puerto, the Puerto Rican Tennis Association as part of the United States Tennis Association. So again, another confusing thing. So as a Puerto Rican, I was able to play nationals, USDA nationals. So I would go in the summers and, you know, take my spot in the nationals and a coach found me and gave me a, a scholarship. So the first time that I went, the, the first time in my life that I really practiced tennis on a daily basis and worked on cross court forehands and cross court backhands and, really was intense about my tennis was when I went to college when I was already 18. So, um, so that's, that's sort of, you know, my path, but you know, with Monica, like that she, her Monica has been hard work. I mean, hard work and determination. Like we, she had a good junior career and, you know, and I've known all along and a lot of people have known that she had the potential, but, but to realize it this way um, was, no, I don't think anybody was expecting this. I mean, I had pointed, pointed her out to Pat, both Patrick and Mary Jo when she was uh, 15. I was like, you got to look out for this one because she's Puerto Rican. But, you know, if you're going to grab her, you better grab her now. And she, um, she, and but, the, I mean, the yeah. option was hers, right? What's that? It, it, the, the option is obviously the, the athletes. I mean, she, yeah, she yeah, could have said. Yeah. No, but they, 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 the USDA never thought that she would, she would be good enough to pursue her. Yeah, because they, she certainly could have used the help, you know. And the thing that when the Puerto Rican athletes that are good, that what's what's so enticing too about the USDA is so that the USDA has the resources um, and the coaches to help them, you know. And we we have a lot of, um, I mean, I'm sure there's other Monica Monica tweets out there that that could could have used the help. I mean, she, you know, didn't didn't need it. Her parents um, could afford for her to develop and she didn't need the help from the USDA. Um, but, um, you know, and I don't know, like, I know we, I know we are part, Puerto Ricans are part of the USDA, so they should help. But then when the USDA helps the Puerto Ricans, then they go play for Puerto Rico. So now, so again, it's like, how do you decide what's right and who to help and who not to help and who's going to go play for Puerto Rico, who's going to keep playing for the United States. 
um, it's it's not easy. It's not easy for to have the option. Yeah, I mean these these are you know these these are broader political and, and economic issues through the prism of sports. But it, but it also makes you think. I mean, I think you raise a good point. I don't I don't think there's another Puerto Rican on the WTA rankings. I mean, I think she's the only no literally yeah, the no. only professional tennis player from no. Puerto Rico right now. No, um, it's, it's her, and that's it. And that was the case when I was playing. So so. You know, people telling me, oh, you could have been the first gold medal. It's like, again, like, you know, my ranking was higher than hers. And maybe this is the difference because my ranking was seven. My ranking was high 17 in the world. So and hers is 33. So they're saying, well, she could have won the gold. She won the gold medal rank 33. How could you not have won the gold? Well, the difference was that I didn't think I could. <laughs> right. <laughs> because at the time there was, you know, I was I had never been the top 10 player in my life. Monica thought she could. So. But I knew that I would win, that I had a really good chance of winning a gold medal in doubles because I was number one in the world. So, yeah. So, but but yeah, it's up to the athlete to to decide. But it's such a weird choice. I mean, it's such it's so odd to even have the choice because you're born from where you're born and you don't change your nationality um, on a whim. You know, which is basically what we have to ask Puerto Ricans. You want to, you have to pick what your nationality is. When you think about that, it's it's yeah, just exactly. like a really right. strange thing. And, you know, I mean, I think we also, we don't have to dwell on this, but I, I don't think, she, she wouldn't have made the team if she had. No, she wouldn't have been on the Olympics because we already had three, you know, we have um, yeah, four, of course, and I think, Serena and Madison, and there's probably Sloan three more Stevens, ranked ahead of her. Yeah. I, I think well, even Coco Vandway at, so. at the time, but no. anyway. Yeah, yeah, um, she would have made the team, so. What, what do you, last question on this. So she I mean, made the right choice. Yeah, exactly. But, but I think, you know, everybody says like, um, you know, where there's a lot of talk about how significant this is for Puerto Rico and what, I mean, in practical terms, what do, what do you suspect, what's going to change, what do you suspect is going to change in her life? I mean, is this, I mean, are there going to oh, be Monica Puig postage stamp? I mean, what, what sort of the, pra- pragmatically, what do you think the significance of this is in Puerto Rico? Well, for one, she'll probably make millions on this gold medal, um, for sure. I mean, she's that just, it's just elevated her, her status and the, tennis world i think sure. um put her in a different echelon than she was before um as far as puerto rico goes she was already a national hero so but now i mean she's the first puerto rican to win a gold medal in the olympics i mean she goes down in history as you know like she'll be remembered for generations and like to uh, you know up up there with roberto clemente yeah it was a crew so, is, that, is that right you think uh Oh, you think that's absolutely, that's that? Yeah, I mean, I think she will. Even and even more than even though I'm in the tennis hall of fame, I have you know like when there was uh, at the end of last at the end of the century they did a, um, a, a top fifty Puerto Ricans you know in in sports and I wasn't on the list and I'm like wait a second like you weren't on how the can list. I oh, not oh. be on the oh, I was I, not on the list if it makes you feel better I, I saw a different list I, that that had you as. Uh, <laughs> As one of the top five female, uh... all right. I, I saw a different list you were on, but anyway, sorry. I just... No, I mean, but I, I should have been on the list because totally. can you name one Puerto Rican athlete in any sport other than tennis or than me and Monica? You got me. You couldn't because there are none. Right. <laughs> I mean, they're like people who have played in the Olympics and maybe not made the finals or made the finals. So there's people who have might have you know, had okay careers in Puerto Rico, but no, nobody in the world stage. So, I, I mean, I'm, I'm clearly Monica and I would be in that list, but now Monica will be on that list, but I still won't be on the list because I did it for the United States. And, and you know, and that's just shouldn't be. I shouldn't, it sh- 
you know, it just, it, it shouldn't be that way. And that's you know, part of what still obsessed me. But, you know, I, I, I certainly still did a lot for Puerto Rico when I was younger. And when I was, you know, like I said, I would won, you know, play Panam games and won medals and, and did represent the Olympics in, 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 uh, in LA. So, there's so there's so there's so much encapsulated in this uh in this gold medal. But all right, quick break to tell you about SI's college football podcast, like a college team with a new logo. This podcast has been rebranded, as it were. It's a campus rush podcast. It includes new co-host Andy Staples, who I sure you know from our college football coverage and also from our barbecued coverage. He's also joined by Lindsay Schnell of the great city of Portland, Oregon. They'll have interviews, opinions, check-ins. They'll go to campus to keep listeners in touch with college football and college football's top stories. If Andy's involved, again, you can be assured that any audio will involve some excellent barbecue recommendations. Search for Campus Rush on your favorite podcast app or visit si.com slash podcast for our entire network here. I, I, wanted, I wanted to ask you, um, what, what's your life like these days? I mean, what's... What's it like being? What's changing? my life? Yeah, I don't know. What to tell everyone? What you, I mean, I think that. Oh. Uh, what I think people. I mean, I know the answer, well, but I'll I think people would be interesting to hear what you're up to these days. Well, I it's um, I am very active in the in the adult uh, recreational tennis community. Like I teach um, fifteen twenty or about sixteen hours a week, where I work at Chelsea Spears in Connecticut. But what I've been doing over the last year is really developing a way of teaching doubles that. Um, is based on my 17 years on tour, but more importantly, on you know, the last four years of coaching recreational players. So I've created this thing called the Gigi method of playing doubles. And, um, you know, and I go around the country talking about it and teaching people at different clubs and, and it's going really well. I, um, I have, you know, interested in China for, for, for Gigi Fernandez teaching school. And I'm trying to expand sort of, that, that business. And, you know, I, obviously I'm a really good doubles player. I've been, I tell people that I was a better, doubles, like I knew more about doubles at six than most people will ever know in, in their lifetime. <laughs> I just was born with those instincts. Um, so that's what I do. I work with adults who, who um, want to get better at doubles and I have boot camps. I just had, I've had a couple of doubles boot camps where people come for a weekend and just learn all about doubles for myself. And now Dr. Mark Kovacs, it's one of the foremost fitness experts in the tennis in the tennis world. I'm sure you might have heard of him. Sure. Um, and and that's what I do. And I am a mom of seven year old twins, which keeps me very busy. I'm also very involved with the uh, USDA's Hispanic Engagement uh, um, Initiative that Katrina has. One of the her top three initiatives as the uh, president of the United States was to increase participation among Hispanics. So um, I'm part of this task force, and I go to tournaments and do, and you know participate in kids' days for where we bring in Hispanic kids from the community and introduce them to tennis for the first time. So I've done that, you know, six or seven of those. I'm also speak. I'm a speaker. Also, I am speaking at PNG next month and at Wells Fargo uh, Advisors later in October. So, so that's what I do. I mean, I one year ago I decided that my Go on live was to be my was to share my knowledge of doubles, and I've been really passionate about that, and and I'll continue to do that for you know a few more years as long as I continue to enjoy it. I'll keep sharing my knowledge as long as people want to hear about it. I'll I'll, I'll keep sharing, and so far people have been have taken to it really well. So I'm sure they do. What what are uh, give us like some of the 
organizing principles of the Gigi method? Because I feel, I feel, I feel like well, you know, so, everyone plays doubles. Say that again. I, I feel like doubles okay. is like I mean, you you go to events and sometimes it feels like the uh, you know sometimes it, it feels like the stepchild event, but you recreationally yes, you go you drive by it, courts and every court has four people. Right. On it. Exactly. Well, see, what happens is that we're all taught how to play singles, right? Unless you grow up with kids. No one ever teaches you how to play doubles for the most part. So then, you know, these kids go to college or they, they make it on the tour. They don't make it on the tour. And then they decide that they want to have a career in sports, but they're not going to be, you know, professionals. So they turn to teachers and they go teach adults. And now when you go teach adults, what do adults play? They all play doubles. Like 85% of tennis, tennis at clubs is doubles, not singles. So, it's, the problem is our instructors don't know how to teach doubles unless they've, you know, had a lot of either played themselves doubles or had, you know, some education. And we, I feel like we do a disservice to our adult community because a lot of what we teach is, is not correct. And um, so the premise of the Gigi method is there's, you know, I created, I, I sort of broke down doubles into five steps. And the first step is positioning. You have to be positioned in the right place. Otherwise you get past and, you know, not hit the right shot, right? So positioning is the first thing. Then you got to cover the right shot. Once what, What's your opponent hitting and what do you, who covers what? Then there's um, the serve, right? And you got to hold your serve. Um, so what are, how are you going to control the serve? What are different things you can do? Then there's breaking serve. you got to hit the return. What are your options on the return? And then the fifth step is shot selection. So once you've, uh, once you're positioned in the right place, you know what to cover, you hit the first serve and the return has gone in, then shot selection comes to play, and you're you're ever in, you're only ever in three formations in doubles, either two up, two back, or one up, one back, and you and your opponents are in, the, in one of those formations. So based on those formations, what's the high percentage play? First of all, what are the advantageous formations, and which ones should you, should you be trying to get into, and which ones should you avoid? And it, once you're in that formation, what what should you be doing? Like what's high percentage? And I solely teach high percentage doubles and. Um, and you know, and then all the five steps circle around competing. And once you're doing all those things and you got to compete and how are you mentally tough and, and, you know, what things can you do to make sure that you're mentally ready for your matches? And, um, so I go around talking about it and lecturing on it and, um, and then teaching people about it. And, you know, as long as people keep wanting to hear it, I'll keep doing it. Um, and it's, you know, my website is com. We're, we're just going through a rebranding process, but um, we have boot camps, we have clinics, we have experiences, which are full day, full day events up to one day of what I just told you about. Um, and then I have um, some lessons in there people can download, and there's a tennis quiz. So if you think you know doubles, go take this tennis quiz and see how good you, how well you do. And so I'm trying to engage this community in, um, you know, in, in just sharing and I want to just keep sharing what I know about doubles. So that's great. We'll, uh, we'll link, we'll link the site. If, if I'm, if I'm a recreational player and I'm watching tennis channel or I go to the U S open in, in a few weeks, give us a couple doubles players that you would advise watching who sort of strategically, who, who, what doubles players out there are, are worth, are worth watching for their tactics. That's a great question. Well, I mean, the Brian brothers are, they play textbook doubles and you know, if you can relate to, um, well, nobody can, never mind. Take talk about relate. It's who's going to relate to like the best team in the history, the history of the game. Right. But they're just great, great to watch and great fun to watch because they, like I said, they play 
strategically high percentage and sound doubles. They know, you know, you see that you, they're constantly moving, you know, they're um, intercepting balls with the net. They're, you know, they're not playing so much one up one back, which, which I think is the worst thing that ever happened to doubles. But, oh, really? you know, it, and again, well, I mean, it works at the professional level because of the ground strokes and because of how much spin everybody puts on the ball. And, right. and, 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 you know, when I was playing two up, like even after I retired, two up still worked against one up one back because the, of this, you know, now it's not the, the power. There's power in my generation, but now there's power and spin and you know, constantly hitting bodies from below the level of the net. Even if you're, you know, four feet away from the net, the, the baseline is able to hit the ball down at your feet. So that's why, to me, that's why it's become so difficult for two volleyers to be at the net. It's not that they have bad volleys, it's that they're constantly hitting balls from below the level of the net. And, in my era, the technology didn't allow for that. It right. was really hard to constantly hit the ball down. So now with recreational players, they see that. They see, oh, well, the players are playing one up, one back, and they think, oh, I should do the same thing. Wrong. Because the difference is they don't have those ground strokes, and they don't have the balls that are dipping. So recreational players still need to get to the net. And, and you know, they that level of tennis is like tennis was 25, 30 years ago, where getting to the net is what wins tennis at the recreational level. So for all the recreational tennis players listening, when you go watch the pros, don't think that you have to do what they're doing as far as, you know, their formations goes. Because again, getting to the net still wins doubles matches or doubles points. Let me ask you another at the recreational level. Um we're we're gonna uh we're gonna link your site too. Um Okay. So I wanna so you you know, you and I talked about this a few years ago, I think, and I and you know, we were just we were just bullshit. I mean it wasn't on the record or anything, but um, t- tell me a little bit about the transition you went through from athlete to former mm-hmm. athlete, because I, th- I think you had some really yeah. interesting insights and, and, uh, and I, and I think the fact yeah. too, that your spouse is a former athlete too, really is interesting also, but anyway, t- t- take it away. T- tell me, let's yeah, try and reprise so, that. It, so I think, I mean, I think people underrate how difficult retiring is. I mean, I was, 33 when I retired, I was at 117 Grand Slams. I didn't feel like winning another one would change my life. And I was a little bit burned out, but it was more like I think I'd already done anything anything I could do. So I decided to retire. And so one day I wake up and the thing that I've been doing for the last, you know, 30 years of my life is not available to me. It's done. Like I don't have to do it anymore. So it was really hard. I mean, it was um, a little bit depressing at first. I think I went through a little period of depression um, and then I had these really strange experiences around Grand Slams because my my for the last 15 years I've been getting so geared up for Grand Slams like my body almost knew that the Grand Slam was coming and I would start to like get warmed up and get you know mentally and emotionally ready for the Grand Slam but then the Grand Slam would come and I wasn't playing and it was like Wait a what's second. going on so <laughs> it had a horrible time during the first few Grand Slams um, and then the other part of that is that you. I, I particularly was just really did, wanted nothing to do with tennis. I didn't want to um, be identified as a tennis player. I didn't want I didn't want to be I didn't want my identity to be G fans a tennis player. So I spent a lot of years trying to be something other than G fans tennis player. You know, I started some businesses and I did real estate and I you know I did a, a lot of crazy things that I can't even remember right now. But it seemed like I was always trying to find the next thing that was gonna create that excitement that I had about tennis and that passion. Um, and, you know, ten, about 10 years into my retirement, I realized 
what am I doing? Like, <laughs> I mean, the fact is that I'm always going to be G-Fan as a tennis player, even if I become the mom or the entrepreneur or the other, the businesswoman, doesn't matter. I'm always going to be the tennis player. So I needed to go back and embrace my identity, embrace that, embrace tennis. And so I decided to just do that, embrace it and started to give back a little bit more and started to um, just enjoy being on the court. And, you know, I, of course I've loved tennis. I, it's been my whole life. And I went through a period where I didn't really like it. I didn't want nothing to do with it. And for the last five years, you know, people ask me, how are you coaching recreational tennis, tennis players? Like, don't they stink? I'm like, well, compared to pros, they stink, but they still, they're, they don't stink if compared to the other people of their level, right? right. I mean, there's three fives that are good three fives and there's bad three fives. So if you're teaching a three five, you want to make him a better three five. Um, if you're teaching a four, oh, you want to make him a better four oh, and they do improve. So, so, you know, finding that passion again for the game really, really, you know, saved me. Um, and I mean, I, at least now I really, you know, obviously love what I do and I love talking about tennis and, um, but yeah, at first it was definitely not easy. Your, your kids, uh, tennis players, golfers, or none of the above? Nah. Or all of the above? No, none of the above. But, I mean, they, they've been playing tennis since they were three, but they don't really like it. So I don't push them. I mean, they, what I said to them was like, I don't care if you like it or not, but you have to have good strokes. <laughs> so <laughs> you have to look like you're good, even if you're not. So, yeah, and they're taking a couple of golf lessons from Jane and a couple of tennis lessons. I don't give them tennis lessons. I, I take tennis with Chelsea Pierce. What's your, um, so so. your, your spouse, Jane Geddes, I don't know if people know, your, your spouse, Jane Geddes, is you know, Hall of Fame caliber LPGA golfer. Um, right. I, I always thought you're, you're a few majors shy of Andre and Steffi, but not, not that many. What, what's it like being married to, uh, a, a, another former athlete? Um, well, I mean, what's really good about it is that we totally understand each other. You know, I think it's very difficult to understand the life of an athlete if you're not an athlete. I mean, unless you're in, in that world, I mean, not that you have to be an athlete, but at least you have to be around that world. I mean, we, our world is not normal. I mean, we have lived our, we call it, we live our life in reverse. Like we had our best years in our twenties and thirties. And then we, the things that people want to do when they retire and go play golf. And we did that in our thirties. <laughs> right. So, so we, you know, and now we're like retired and, raising kids which is what you're supposed to be doing in your 30s right so it's sort of been backwards and um you know and for someone to understand to sort of appreciate and understand that um it takes another athlete so so in that sense it's it's good we really understand each other well I, I think it's really interesting what you're talking about this balance between you know i'm no longer a pro athlete i need to evolve i need to find other challenges but also recognize like this is essential this is a core of my identity and I can't pretend that I didn't win 17 grand slams and I'm in the hall of fame. I mean, it's, it sounds like a real right. balance between sort of living in the past versus reconciling the fact that, as you say, you can do a lot of amazing things and I'm sure you will, but people are still going to see your name and first and foremost, know you as the hall of fame tennis player. Well, but I think part of, and again, part of when you get older and you start thinking about your legacy and how you want to be remembered and, and, you know, again, I'm going to be remembered as Gigi Fernandez, the Hall of Famer, but I also, I don't want to just be remembered as that. And, right. you know, when you get older, you start giving back is more important and helping others and helping kids and, you know, 
doing fundraisers and you know being part of the Hispanic engagement group and all the stuff that I'm doing in that regard. So, so yeah, I mean, if you're if you're a Hall of Fame athlete in a sport, you're probably going to be remembered for that, right? So, so you might as well embrace it and um, you know and and give back. To me, but the advice to me is give back. I mean, it, it feels great to give back and. Um, and tennis has been so great to me and has given me so much. And I've had some many amazing experiences through tennis. I met some some amazing people through tennis. And, um, you know, I just want to pass it on because I I feel so blessed to have been so lucky to have tennis in my life. So You mentioned um, you mentioned the Hispanic community. And it seems to me sort of d- yeah. d- doubles is this sort of I, – I always think doubles is this under-leveraged asset, they would say – in the corporate world. I mean, d- doubles is sort of this, this growth area where maybe tennis could do more on the pro level, but I also feel like the Hispanic community as well um, is, is an area where the relationship with tennis could be a little firmer. I mean, wh- what do you think to, to generalize mightily? What, what can tennis do to be more appealing to this growing demographic in the U S well, we, I mean, we started, we are starting to do it. Like the task force that was created um, two years ago when Katrina Adams became president uh, which was tapped with increasing increasing participation in, by more Hispanics in the United States. And last year we had a 12% increase in, in participation among Hispanics. So we're just getting the word out. Univision has been really active in promoting tennis and, um, you know, and there's and let, letting people know that there's playing opportunities for them. There's a website called Tennis Para Todos, which translates into Tennis for All in Spanish. And they have, when you go there, there's, all um, the database of places where you can go play tennis for free. There's free tennis everywhere if you know where to find it. You just have to know where to find it. Um, and if if you have a, you know a child who's talented, and the, we're, the, we're going to find them. I mean, we're going to find talented kids, and we're going to help them even if they don't have the means. So you don't have to be, you know, uber wealthy these days to to be a, a professional tennis player. I mean, the USDA really helps kids who who demonstrate uh, athletic ability and talent and they'll, they'll put them through, through the paces. So, um, so hopefully we'll find We'll find the next Monica Puig in somewhere in uh, the United States. Right. I was going to say, we won't, uh, if, if it's, if it's Monica Puig, it's Monica Puig, but if there's, if there's a player in the United States, that's great too. That's exactly where I was going. Yeah. Um, right. All right. We've, we've, we've hit our half hour window. Um, are you you'll uh, you'll be at the U.S. Open? Yes, absolutely. I'm there almost every day. I'll be, you know, I'm going to watch Monica, and I have different things that I do at the Westside Club, and I have some people I'm taking and um, corporate events and whatnot. So I'll definitely be there. All right, this was great. You were uh, you were fantastic. I'm glad we did this. All right, thank you. We'll see you at the Open. All right, take care. Hi, John. All right, thanks to our guest Gigi Fernandez. Good conversation. That is this week's sports illustrated tennis podcast very interesting take on monica puig gold medal and also where puerto rico fits into things um in the large scale and the small scale Gigi's always a fun person to talk to and i'm um, glad we were able to do this jamie lasanti as always is our super extraordinary producer she may well be handling duties next week when I'm uh, away for a few days before the U.S. Open, but uh, we'll have more about that later. Follow me on Twitter, at John underscore Wertheim. Subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, and your podcast app of choice. You can hear the whole network of SI Podcasts at si.com slash podcast. All right. Have a good week, everyone. We'll talk to you before the U.S. Open.
We'll be right back. 